Welcome to Role-Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role-playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 14, Live Play Streams. Okay, so we've done a lot of talk about the various role-playing games and some of the people and companies that created them. I'm betting, though, that for some of you, the question still remains. What does playing one of these games really look like? Now, I'm sure you've got a vision in mind, and it may or may not be the stereotype that's been propagated since the beginning of role-playing. You know what I'm talking about. Bunch of guys sitting around in someone's basement on old furniture, a coffee table covered in books, dice, maps, other paper... There's the overwhelming smell of old farts and Cheetos, or maybe Doritos. The Mountain Dew flows like water, and the conversations are things most people couldn't begin to understand. So, let's start today's episode by breaking that stereotype. First off, I don't drink Mountain Dew anymore. I prefer water with a flavor enhancer in it because I'm trying to lose weight. If I'm drinking a soda or pop, depending on what part of the world you're listening to this in, I prefer Diet Pepsi, thank you, though I will drink others if they're what's available. And okay, I I do tend to drink a couple of Monsters on game night because I don't have the kind of energy I used to have and I need that extra boost to get through game night. Also, my group plays in the living room in the house of one of my best friends. Trust me, the furniture is comfy and very well maintained. Oh, and and we don't eat a whole lot of Cheetos or Doritos anymore. Though we won't turn our noses up at a good pizza. I will admit, though, that we do tend to have our books, dice, and paper spread out, but that's the nature of role-playing. We also have laptops, tablets, and cell phones handy because we tend to use those instead of some paper because, all right, we're trying to do our part to save the planet. And finally, we do have one woman playing in our group regularly, so we'll bust that part of the stereotype as well. Now, your own group and your group preferences may vary. In fact, I've exchanged messages with listeners who play in groups that are all female or a mix or all LGBTQ+. So what we're seeing are groups that reflect the people who love this hobby. Insofar as the composition of those groups, well... For better or for worse, you're going to play with people who you are most like. In my case, that means every player in the group is white. Doesn't mean we're racist. We're all friends and have been in some cases for over 30 years. This is the group we've been in, the group we're most comfortable with, and the group that we get along with the best. I've also been exchanging messages with folks who are playing in groups where everybody's African-American or all of Latinx descent or, or a mix of races and gender identities and, and so on. Look, what I'm trying to say is this. If you're playing the game with people you like and you get along with, then you are playing in the right group. So, short story long, let's break the stereotypes about what the game should look like. First off, we need to understand the enormity of what we're talking about. In 2017, it was reported that 7,500 unique broadcasters broadcast over 475 million minutes of D&D to nearly 9 million viewers. By the way, those numbers come from SlyFlourish.com in June of 2018. Since then, I've seen numbers that put the estimated number of broadcasters at over 10,000 
the total number of minutes at close to 800 million and the total viewers to over 12 million. I can't nail down exact numbers because the various streaming platforms collect their data in different ways and there are broadcasters who use multiple platforms. So what do those numbers tell us? First off, these numbers tell us that there are a lot of people who are interested in spending a few hours of their time watching other people play D&D. And for the record, all of these numbers are specific to D&D as it's the game most commonly streamed online. Second, this tells us that there are a lot of people willing to pay for the privilege. After all, Twitch, which is what most of these broadcasters use, requires payment for watching streams. Finally, we can learn from these that there is a huge market for new content. Do a quick YouTube search for live games. You could spend hours checking out all the different games that are available. Granted, very few of them are available live on YouTube, but the site allows for a viewer to watch a game at their own speed, rather than having to carve out two to four hours of their evening in a chunk. Now, as this is a history podcast, this is the point where I would normally be discussing the history of the first D&D game ever streamed, who streamed it, and why. Unfortunately, I can't nail down a first for this phenomenon. Twitch has had live games going since they launched the service. Trying to say who was first there is about as complicated as figuring out who's on first. By the way, it's who, damn it. Anyway, same thing with YouTube. People have been posting video of their games pretty much since the YouTube service went active. Some of those videos got taken down, some get lost in the sea of videos on the service, and some just fade away. So rather than try to figure out who's first, I thought I'd start by focusing first on the two games that set the bar for every other game that's come since. Now, if we were to name a game the godfather of livestream games, it'd probably have to be Acquisitions Incorporated. AI launched in 2008 with the goal being to spread the love of D&D to non-players by giving them the ability to watch the game being played. The reasoning they used was that if people could see the game being played, they'd be more likely to actually pick up the books themselves and play the game, because it would pull back the veil of secrecy and confusion about how to play the game. The company Penny Arcade is responsible for the AI game. The idea originally came from Penny Arcade's founders, Jerry Holkins and Mike Krahulik. Sorry, Mike, if I got that wrong. They brought in their friend Scott Kurtz from PvP, then met with the folks at Wizards of the Coast to get their blessing. Not only did Wizards bless the project, but D&D's lead story designer Chris Perkins came on board to be the DM for Acquisitions Incorporated. So they initially started as a podcast, quickly transitioned to a video show, and gained an audience almost immediately. How immediately? Within a year. AI was asked to put on live shows at conventions. Today, it's almost expected that AI will be doing a live show at one of the big conventions like Gen Con. When they started, nobody was doing anything anywhere near that. One of the benefits of having a D&D designer as the DM is the access to the various books that have been published over the years, as well as the ability to sort of beta test new rules and ideas for upcoming books. According to information I was able to access, this has happened from time to time during the history of Acquisitions Incorporated. Another benefit AI had was that there were a number of celebrities in the gaming world who were willing and able to be guest players on the show from time to time. 
Will Wheaton is one of those names that most of you will easily recognize, but there have been numerous others. Needless to say, AI only continued to grow, so much so that Wizards of the Coast did something they'd never done before to that point. They released an official D&D rulebook based on the podcast. The Acquisitions Incorporated book contains the various rules created for that game, as well as setting information and other nuggets that AI's rabid fan base had been clamoring for. Insofar as the game itself, it's a much looser game than some of the other games you'll find online. The players really don't take themselves that seriously, and they aren't afraid to be cheesy from time to time. It's also obvious when you watch that while these are professional creative people, they aren't actors. What they're saying during the games are the same things most gamers have thought or said during their own games. And they're not afraid to look or sound like idiots from time to time because of frustration or because of the surprise of something that's going on. Acquisitions Incorporated is still going strong. In fact, they now have what's called the C-Team. I know for a fact that those games are available on YouTube and they are just as entertaining as the original games. Now, if you're going to watch one of these games, you're going to need between two and three hours. But if you've got the time, I can assure you, you will be entertained. If Acquisitions Incorporated is the godfather of streaming games, Critical Role has to be the game that brought streaming D&D games to the attention of the masses. Now, Critical Role began its life as a home game around 2013. In fact, the game that started it all was actually only supposed to be a one-shot or one game night, for Liam O'Brien's birthday. It was played using simplified D&D 4th edition rules, and Matthew Mercer was the DM. The players loved the game so much, they made it a regular deal, though they did switch to Pathfinder when they went to a regular game night. That home game ran for about two years before Felicia Day heard about it. If you've never heard of Felicia, she's an actress, a gamer, an overall self-admitted geek like the rest of us. More importantly for our story, she was also one of the founders of Geek and Sundry, which is a commercial YouTube and Twitch channel and a multimedia production company. As all of the players in the game are actors and creators in their own right, Felicia believed there was something in the combination that would equal successful programming. So on March 12th, 2015, Critical Role played its first game live on Geek and Sundry. As I mentioned above, Matthew Mercer was, and still is, the DM for the group. Liam O'Brien was joined in the group by Ashley Johnson, Travis Willingham, Laura Bailey, Taliesin Jaffe, Marisha Ray, and Sam Regal. For some of the early episodes, Orion Acaba was a member of the team, but he left after 27 episodes, leaving the rest of the core group, as I mentioned it above. The group also made one more rules change, shifting to D&D 5th edition before they actually began streaming episodes. If you're a fan of video games, anime, or cartoons, you probably recognize most of those names. Every single one of them is a pretty successful voiceover artist, as well as being creative in writing and producing. But if you think all of that creativity means Critical Role has a slick Hollywood production, all the lines are done in perfect style, you'd be wrong. The fans of Critical Role, called Critters by the cast and by themselves, love the show because these are folks who aren't afraid to be themselves while still being the characters they play in the game. And Critical Role has been successful as all get out. Over the course of the two main series, Critical Role has dropped 256 episodes. 
There have also been special episodes dropped for various events and occasions. Most recently, Critical Role completed an eight-episode special series called Exandria Unlimited. I'll get a bit more into EU in just a minute. Now, I'll tell you up front, Critical Role is a beast to watch. Most episodes run between three and four hours these days, after being two to two and a half early on. So this isn't going to be a show you're going to binge watch in a couple of days and be completely up to date. But if you have the patience, you will be rewarded with really good stories, interesting characters and NPCs, and having the ability to watch professional actors screw up royally from time to time. Critical Role has been so successful, it now has its own production company. They left Geek and Sundry in early 2019 to form their own company and created their own studio space to record their episodes. Beyond that, they expressed an interest in creating an animated one-shot show to tell the story of Vox Machina, which, by the way, was the name of the group in their first campaign. They launched a Kickstarter on March 4th, 2019, with the idea of raising funds for that 22-minute special. By the time the Kickstarter closed about a month later, they'd raised $11.3 million. So they altered that original plan and decided to develop a 10-episode series. On top of that, Amazon Prime Video stepped in and picked up the streaming rights, kicking in money for 14 more episodes. Two more for the first season, plus an entire 12-episode second season. Critical Role team has been working to figure out how to satisfy all the promises they made to their Kickstarter supporters because, of course, they were expecting to get a 22-minute special or then 10 episodes that nobody else was going to have access to. But they are doing well at making good on all of that. And they're producing the series at the same time. And they're putting out new Critical Role adventures at the same time. Now, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, production across the board has kind of been delayed. But when I know more you know I'm going to let you know. Now, on top of all of that, Wizards of the Coast published an official source book for the game titled The Explorer's Guide to Wildemount, and Critical Role has published a campaign setting book of their own, as well as licensing miniatures, comic books, and other items for sale in hobby stores and toy stores around the world. Now, I've shown you some of the advantages to being the most successful dog in the yard. However, that success hasn't come without its share of criticism. There have been those online who have accused Critical Role of not being diverse enough. Yes, there are three women as a part of the cast, but as these writers have noted, all the cast and most of the guest players that have come in over the years are white. Again, these detractors argue that with all of the people the cast know in the business, certainly they could have a more diverse cast for the show. There have also been occasional complaints about some of the language and themes covered in episodes, but those have been less than the overall diversity arguments. Now, normally I try to not inject my opinion when I'm doing these reports, but I'm going to do so here, even though Critical Role really doesn't need my help. My issue with the argument about diversity is this. Critical Role started out as a home game. Again, when you do a home game, you're playing with your friends. I'm not saying the cast have no friends of color. What I am saying is that this group of friends was playing that particular game at that particular time, and that's the group that signed on with Geek and Sundry to produce their show for streaming. Now, if Matt Mercer had been intentionally casting a group for a streaming series, maybe he would have put a different group of people in some of the seats. However, I would argue that part of the quality of the show comes from the genuine friendships of everyone in the group, 
and that's hard to replicate with a cast that's put together solely to satisfy the critics. And by the way, you will never satisfy all the critics. Believe me, I know. And a glance at the critters themselves kind of shoots down the arguments of the haters. The critters are about as diverse a group of folks as you'll see, and they come out in force whenever Critical Role is doing a live show, which they do at many conventions and other live appearances at other places. Now, if you want to understand how over-the-top I and others believe some of these haters are, go no further than the most recent short series, Exandria Unlimited. For that show, Matt Mercer got out of the DM's chair and played a character in the campaign instead. He handed the reins over to Abria Einagar. God, I hope I said her name right. I love her, and I hope I got it right. If I didn't, I'll do better next time. If you don't know her, she is one hell of a player in DM, and watching her take Mercer's creation in a whole new direction was exceptionally refreshing. However, I mentioned the haters. Yeah, some of these trolls have argued nonstop since Exandria Unlimited went on that, well, Aubrey's being in the DM's chair was only because of all the heat critical role had gotten about the diversity problem. Oh, and separate from this, there seemed to be a lot more trolls spewing their unique brand of hate during this series than in the previous runs. I don't know if it's because of a lot of the regular cast sitting out or what, but the venom in these posts I have observed was completely unnecessary. And if I may, can I just go back to something I've said a hundred different times on this stream and on the YouTube channel? Stop being a dick. Okay, thank you. Off my soapbox. If you're only going to watch one streaming series, I'd have to say make a critical role. My reasoning for it is just the pure entertainment value of the show. However, I would warn you to not think every game should or will go just like a game goes for them. This is where I remind you, these are actors who are accustomed to changing their voices and improvising lines. Very few of us would shine as well in comparison, and so I need to remind you to not compare yourself to them, okay? Otherwise, enjoy. There are more live streams I want to talk about, and we're going to get to them right after we take this break. All right, so getting back at a look at live play streams. Dimension 20 is one of the newer shows on my list, but it's quickly become a very popular stop for game fans. Dimension 20 was created by the folks at College Humor specifically for their Dropout Network. For those not familiar with either College Humor or Dropout, College Humor has been producing all sorts of funny sketches, podcasts, and other material for quite some time, and Dropout was to be their network for R-rated materials, which they were sometimes having issues getting online on other sites or sources. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean Dimension 20 goes places that Critical Role or Acquisitions Incorporated don't go. I mean, Brennan Lee Mulligan, who's the DM for the majority of the campaigns, uses ideas based off of Harry Potter and other pop culture favorites to set up his stories, but so does Matt Mercer to an extent. And while the gamers in Dimension 20 aren't afraid to drop profanities, neither are the crowd at Critical Role or The Chain or NADPOD, I'll be discussing those two in just a bit. So don't focus too much on the R-rated part of my description above. It's just a bit of history about why Dropout was created. For the record, the majority of the campaigns Dimension 20 plays in uses D&D 5th edition rules. Sometimes they use other rules, but they always announce the changes well before the new campaign drops. Also, with the ninth season, they switched to a rotating DM format, 
with Aubrey Einiger taking over for a four-episode run. She'll also be joining the table as a player for the next campaign. Dimension 20 is also the most diverse table of all the games I'll be covering during this show. The usual rotation of players are Allie Beardsley, Emily Axford, Lou Wilson, Brian Murphy, Zach Oyama, and Javon Thompson. They've also invited a number of guest players to the table for their side quest sessions, and that diversity continues there. Now, some of that I know is because of the friendships between all of these individuals, but I also think the diversity of the staff at College Humor deserves some of the credit for this as well. The show performs well, with 121 episodes having been produced since the first show dropped in 2018. The next campaign is designed to have 10 episodes, so by the end of this year, let's see, do all the math here, ah, the total will increase to 131. Now, if you don't have access to Dropout or don't have the cash to pay for it, they do drop highlights of the episodes on YouTube after a week or so. So you can at least check out those highlights for free and see if you're interested. But if you want to watch the full episodes, you're going to have to pay. It's not overly expensive, but you would have to pay a little bit more. And it's not like with Twitch that you... Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Next up on our look at live stream games is the Chain of Acheron, which is the group led by Matt Colville. Now, you've heard me mention Matt's name a bunch of times throughout the history of this podcast. Matt hosts what I believe is a very valuable resource for gamers, whether you want to just run or you want to play. His YouTube series, Running the Game, is a must-watch. The chain is an evolution of the Running the Game series, as Matt attempted several times during the course of that series to record games he was running in in an attempt to demonstrate how to utilize some of the techniques he'd been describing during the videos, among other things. However, what really led to the birth of the chain was the Kickstarter Matt ran to facilitate the publication of the first role-playing supplement he and his company MCDM Productions released. Called Strongholds and Followers, it's a set of rules based on many of the theories and philosophies Matt had been expressing during the history of his YouTube series, and rules that he admitted more than once he'd been running in some form in his games for a very long time. Due to the success of the Kickstarter, Matt was able to build a proper filming rig for a game and gathered several of his friends and co-workers to join his new campaign. Episode 1 of The Chain debuted on Twitch and the MCDM Productions YouTube channel on January 30th, 2019. 27 episodes ran on an almost weekly basis, with episode 27 airing on September 30th, 2019. At that point, the game took what was supposed to be a brief hiatus for multiple reasons. The first reason was that the players needed to create new characters for a heist storyline the game was getting ready to go with because the characters they'd been using to that point weren't really appropriate for the heist that was being planned. However, as that process continued, the MCDM team was ramping up the finish and fulfillment of the Kickstarter for their second book, Kingdoms of Warfare, and as many of the players in the group are also MCDM employees, their time was needed for that process. So that process was taking us into March and April of 2020, and we all know what happened next. However, there are many fans of both Matt's and the Chains that have been inquiring about why the show isn't back on yet. I mean, after all, it is now August, almost September of 2021. Matt has continually stated that he will be bringing the campaign back in some form, but it should be noted, and, and this is by me, by the way, not by Matt Colville, so at the right guy, 
that the MCDM's gaming space isn't as large as the space utilized for Critical Role or for Dimension 20. What that means is that the game group can't spread out like those others can to conform to policies regarding productions, which, among other things, require performers to be socially distant. So while things still are the way they are in the United States, we shouldn't expect to see the chain come back anytime soon. And Matt himself has suggested that the chain may not come back in the same form it was in previously. He's admitted on more than one occasion that the concept of watching other people play a game for four hours doesn't necessarily make for compelling television, or streaming in this case. He has suggested that he might continue the game and record it, but only use the highlights of the game as part of a game recap video. He'd done recaps for the chain previously, but he didn't use clips very often, if at all. However, and I have to stress this, none of these things I've mentioned have been absolutely set in stone. Besides, Matt and the MCDM team have gotten busy with another project recently, the release of their own magazine called Arcadia. If you're interested, you can check that out through the MCDM Productions website. Now, this is where I admit that The Chain is the only streaming game I've watched every single episode of. That's a fact, plus all the recaps. I can also tell you that in my opinion, it's the streaming game I've seen that's the closest to what an actual game table for D&D is like. There's a lot of pausing for people to make decisions, a lot of joking back and forth, an occasionally frustrated DM. God, that's my reality. So yes, I highly recommend The Chain to anybody looking for a game to watch. The episodes are about four hours long, but since there's only 27 of them, you'll be through that series pretty quickly. Oh, and the cast, other than that, of course, consists of Lars Baki, Phil Robb, Tom Schmuck, Anna Coulter, Tom, who we never got the last name for, except it's Tom, not Tom, anyway, and Matt Old Driscoll. They are all extremely creative types as well, and you might have heard of some of these folks before. The final live stream we're going to look into today is the only one that's exclusively a podcast. Critical Role, Dimension 20, and Acquisitions Incorporated all offer their shows in a podcast format, but they're designed to be viewed. Not Another D&D Podcast, or NADPod, is different. It was designed to be a podcast from the very beginning. It also has the smallest cast of any of the shows we're looking into today, with four members. Brian Murphy, Emily Axford, Caldwell Tanner, and Jake Hurwitz. Brian's the DM for the two main campaigns, with the others providing the heavy lifting as the group. Now, Murph does bring in NPCs to assist the group from time to time, and one of them from the first campaign, Balnor, became a fan favorite. NADPod, which is hosted on the HeadGum Podcast Network, which, by the way, was co-founded by Hurwitz and his comedy partner Amir Blumenfield, along with Marty Michael, dropped its first episode on February 2nd, 2018. That first campaign ran for over 100 episodes and developed a fan base to the point that the team began doing live appearances around the country where they would play live games designated as being non-canon. Some of those appearances were recorded and played as bonus episodes when Murph needed the time off to work on the campaign or on other projects. During the course of that first campaign, Caldwell Tanner began running a campaign of his own with Murph shifting into the player's seat. This campaign ran about once a month or so and was another way to give Murph some time to work on the ongoing campaign that was the heart of the show. Both campaigns wrapped around the same time, which was May of 2020. Emily Axford ran a short campaign over the summer to provide more entertainment for the NADPOLs, as the fan of the podcast are known, and the second major campaign began later in the year. 
Nadpod was one of the few live stream games that wasn't seriously impacted by the restrictions COVID-19 dropped on the entertainment industry. Thanks to the fact that it's a podcast rather than a video stream, the cast members were able to record from individual locations with Brian and Emily, who are married, recording from separate parts of their house. This allowed them to continue to produce new episodes when game fans were clamoring for content during quarantine and, in my opinion, really helped increase their listenership. Now, I have to admit, I found NADPOD by accident. I was looking for something gaming-related to listen to well before this podcast was ever an idea, and something about the name of the show convinced me to give it a shot, and, and I'm glad I did. These guys do not take themselves seriously and frequently note that they're doing a, quote, comedy gaming podcast, end quote. Therefore, the players frequently make decisions that aren't the wisest from a gaming perspective, but perfect from a comedy angle. How they get out of the positions they find themselves in because of these decisions is also part of the entertainment. Overall, I love the show. I have listened to the first campaign all the way through multiple times. Shows run about two hours each, so if you've got the time, you can binge listen a decent chunk at a go. The alternate campaigns weren't necessarily as interesting to me, but as a fan of the show, I listened to all of them as well. So, obviously, I recommend it highly. So, we've taken a look at five examples of live stream games that you can check out for yourself. As I mentioned at the start of this show, there are a ton more out there. I can assure you, if you refine your YouTube search, you will find a group of players that fits whatever you're looking for. The one thing I can't assure you of is that you'll find a whole lot of games that aren't D&D. There are a few Pathfinder games out there, as well as some Starfinder, Vampire, and Shadowrun. After that, the well really does start to run dry. This being the gaming industry, though, I seriously doubt that dry well will last for very long. And with that, we come to the end of today's tour. Next week, we're going to do a deep dive into Deadlands. Personally, this is my absolute favorite game to run or to play, and I look forward to breaking it down with you. Also next week, we're going to try something a bit different, as I'll be posting a video companion to the podcast, covering some of the things Deadland related that I just can't do in a voice-only format. Am I going to pull it off? <laughs> You're going to have to tune in and find out. As always, I owe a big thank you to you for listening to this show each and every week. I get asked from time to time if I'm ever going to go to a convention. My answer is this. For now, because... Honestly, we're still not making any money doing this. I'm staying local, which is the St. Louis metropolitan area. So, by the way, if you're doing a convention in the St. Louis metropolitan area and would like to have me as a guest, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, all you got to do is reach out. Uh, however, if we keep growing at the rate we're growing, I will go wherever I'm invited. Who the hell am I kidding? If you invite me now, I'll figure out how the hell to get there, maybe. So, we'll just see. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Roleplaying History Podcast, Twitter, at Roleplaying History Podcast, or use the hashtag Roleplaying History Podcast. YouTube, you know we've got a channel, Roleplaying History Podcast. Click on the subscribe button, hit the bell to get notified when new stuff drops. You can also email the show at Roleplaying History Podcast at gmail.com. 
A huge shout out to the folks at Pixabay.com because that's where we got the music we're using as the theme for the show. The music there is free use. So if you need music for your project, check them out. So next week, we deep dive Deadlands and produce a video companion piece for YouTube. Have I finally lost my damn mind? We shall see. But that's next week, folks. And until then, I'm Wayne Davis, and you're role-playing history.